0: Welcome to Episode 7 of the Marshall Street Podcast, where two washed-up SU alumni cut into all things Syracuse sports. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We are everywhere. Leave us a five-star review with a question, follow us on Twitter and now Instagram at Marshall Street or, excuse me at Marshall ST pod 44 and like share retweet and tell your friends about us to help the podcast grow. I'm Jake, that's Keith. Keith, how are you feeling on this day that's here that Georgetown lost to the Naval Academy?
1: I'm feeling good about that. That's about it in terms of college sports that I'm involved in. <laughs> that
0: sounds about right. So you all know uh, it, it was a weird weekend for Syracuse sports. I think is the way best way to put it. I, I, I think we kind of knew the football team. I, we were we were expecting it, to we were expecting kind of kind of lose. But I don't in the way that game ended. We'll get football. We'll talk about last, but um, let's talk about basketball because that's I feel like what most Syracuse fans have been looking forward to the most. Syracuse opened up the season the day after Thanksgiving against Bryant at the very empty Carrier Dome, which was, like, eerie to see. Uh, and we won. Uh, but we won 85-84, a one-point comeback win. Syracuse trailed by as many as 13 in the second half. Uh, right off the bat, there was a surprise. Quincy Garrier uh, came in and started at, at the small forward position instead of Alan Griffin. It ended
1: up not being a huge deal, because Alan Griffin played 38 minutes. He came right in. Uh the old Jim Beheim math equation. This was the Daywan Coleman a few years ago. It was. Got the start, and then the backup center got 30-some minutes. That's just <laughs> funny math. Off the bench for 38 out of 40 minutes. It, it's uh it's Dion Waiter's esque.
0: It is. It really is. so both of those guys ended up being very solid. Before we get into the Interesting things that happened with the defense. Let's talk about some positives from the takeaways from the basketball game. Uh, Quincy was fantastic, I think. He was 7-13 from the floor, 15 points, 12 boards in those 33 minutes. And he had, when we went down by 13, he, in the second half, he went off. He put up, I think, 10 points, it was. When we were down 13, like bang, 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 and got us back into the game. I think, especially now with City Bay out, he's going to get a ton of minutes, and we'll get to talk about City Bay two in a minute. Uh, well, Keith, what would you think about Quincy's performance in game one?
1: I thought it was solid the The double double in 33 minutes is pretty impressive, and SU's problem is as much as Beheim would like to say they're out of basketball shape, I suppose yeah. offense offense was not the issue in this one. you know, putting up 85 points against Bryant is what we should expect, I guess. It was more so the defense. So Quincy overall I thought was good, and he flashed some potential at that four spot, and we'll see how he ends up playing. If if the three continues, I'm assuming Griffin will slide in there with, with Barama out and, and maybe more of a natural position for Quincy. But overall I thought he was good. The, uh, the shooting, like
0: you said, the offense, I don't think – it started slow. I think we shot like 30% in the first half. But then it jumped up to 50 in the second. Like when when we score 80 points and 80, 85 points in a game, I don't think that's to be concerned of. And again, slow start, we'll talk about some of the reasons for that later. But I, I don't think the offense was I don't think the offense was that much of a problem. Uh biggest story storyline of the offseason was Alan Griffin, the transfer from Illinois, came in right off the be- right off the beat from the bench, put up uh, 14 points, 12 boards, 3 assists in 38 minutes. That's a double-double. I don't know what else you could ask from him. Uh, I, I noticed, too, his shot is just so, so smooth. It, it's And I honestly do think he, he looked better on the boards than I think he, Elijah Hughes was. Um, he, he, looked, he impressed me a ton. And I know it's only one game, small, very small sample size right now. But he impressed me a ton. He looks very good
1: he's an attacker for sure. And you can see why Beheim was saying how much energy he has and his high motor 12 rebounds at, at his height. You think to pass SU guys, one of our favorites that we were talking about, like Paul Harris, who was never the uh, tallest guy. Although Paul Harris was built like a linebacker, whereas Griffin's a lot skinnier, he's a lot, but still 12, 12, boards for a guy of his height is, is pretty impressive. And he's not lacking confidence at all. He'll, He'll take a couple shots here and there that I think people will question or, or had a couple turnovers. But overall, the good far outweighs the bad, and it's a really promising start for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, the the good definitely outweighs the bad. He's
0: He he seemed very calm, too, out there. Like He wasn't like a Joe Girard who's going to slap the floor and let's go. Very calm, very cool.
1: I thought when he had the ball in his hands, he was very level-headed. There's well, really- it, it was interesting, too, because on one hand, he's the son of an, an NBA coach, uh, an Adrian Griffin, who's an assistant. So he's, he's very cerebral in, in how he goes about things, has a good feel for the game. Keep in mind, though, he did have quite a few uh, discipline issues in Illinois, whether that's like technicals or, or sitting out. So I'm curious how that will affect his gameplay, whether that's more like... Devo type passion and energy you see on the field on the on the court or just like spur of the moment stuff that that happens or maybe it's all behind him. And it was just his his situation in Illinois. But yeah, like you said, he looked very, very calm in, in this game.
0: For sure. Uh, but I don't think he was the player of the game to me, the player of the game. And I tweeted out our player of the game, even though I didn't ask you, who was more so my player of the game was Marek Dolezal, who played 37 minutes, was 6 12 from the field. Eight of nine from the line, six boards, nine assists, 20 points. That assist ended up getting a bump uh, the day or two after. So he ended up with a double-double. He 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 looked bigger. I know Beheim said he put on like 10, 15 pounds. You could see he looked stronger to me. A little brought,
1: <laughs> A little bit. You could tell. Come on, he was a string bean the last, last three years. You could tell he's a little bit bigger. I think he he looks bigger against Bryant than he will against North Carolina, but – Oh, he does look bigger. I'll give him that. Yep. He uh he brought the ball
0: up a ton, which surprised me. I thought he he seemed like he handled the ball more than he could, more than he probably should in the future. Um, he hit two big free throws to put us up three with under a minute left. He did miss one at the and end. Then when they, <laughs> and then he
1: missed one. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a Marek hater today, but, man, an incredible offensive board on the one-and-one one that was missed by Quincy. Keep in mind, why is Quincy – going to the line when we're up one with the one and one Like, that that should not happen. Uh, right. But anyway, Marek with a, a really clutch rebound and then misses the front end of the one and one. First missed free throw of the day, like you said. And you could tell after the game, we we kind of knew that we stole one with the two misses towards the end. And even with the win, Marek had the hands right on the head. I don't know if you saw that. that the camera panned over to him, and he was like, oh, man, I...
0: I messed up a little
1: bit, (laughs) but (laughs) when you look at this game in totality, he was, he was pretty incredible. And the best part to me was his assertiveness. Like, you know, Marek is skilled and you know, he can get it done on the boards, passing, even scoring from, from mid range and in didn't see too much of the, the threes that we saw a little bit more earlier in his career, but the biggest thing was assertiveness, and if he can play with that level of confidence and tenacity going forward, I think that's a really good recipe for him. Uh, yeah, I I, total,
0: I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, Buddy Beheim, I feel like, was quietly good. I don't think the broadcast talked about him a ton, but I thought he was a little shaky to start, the like, whole friggin' team was. Uh, but he shot the ball pretty well, played almost the whole game, a 17 from the floor, he hit four threes, had three rebounds, he had 23 points. I think he quietly had a very good game. And he if he can play if we can get that out of Buddy Beheim all year, I don't this team's I think this team will be hard to stop
1: offensively. Yeah, and Jim Behan's talked about openly how Buddy is farther along than he ever thought he would be at this point. And I think it says a lot about him that he could have a 23-point outing like this, and it's nothing we even are surprised by at all. It's it's no. kind of expected. So, yeah, it was uh, a quiet 23, about as much as you can have. And I think once he heated up and, and got things rolling, so to speak, then he he was really, really solid. I do think the offense being able to,
0: to... – spread out the point distribution too with Joe Girard not playing well and still being able to score 85 points. I think that's a good sign for the
1: for the rest of the season too because it's not What do you make be... of that of of Gerard's performance and the minutes allocation? So well the performance wise
0: like he, he that was probably the worst game of his career and I think Beheim would Beheim say I've never he said something like quoting I've never seen him play that bad or something to that effect. And he—he's not wrong. I, I don't think he played well. He had six points, four assists, two of fourteen shooting. The two threes were huge. I think they were both under six minutes. And we—I don't think we would have won if he didn't hit both of them. We wouldn't have won if he didn't hit both of them. As for the minutes thing with Kadari Richmond, Richmond played, I think, nine minutes. He was two for three from the field. He had three, three rebounds, a steal. So he had five points in. Nine minutes, but he did have three fouls, and they were all in the first half. And I don't think he played at all in the second half. So, in the future, I would like to see Kadari Richmond uh, play more if Joe Girard or Buddy is struggling, because especially with Bayheim saying that we weren't in shape to play. Well, then why were we just rolling with a five-man rotation in the second half, like? If the guys are out of shape and winded, which we'll get into that again, again, we'll get we're going to get into the post game stuff. Why would we just run a? Why would we just ran a five minute rotation for most of the second half? Is I I don't necessarily see the logic in it, especially with Kadari. He looked good in the nine minutes he played, and I got the three fouls. and Beheim said that he went with him because he's an upperclassman. But where have we heard? oh, I'm going to go with him because he's an upperclassman before. I think Dino said that a few times <laughs> regarding the quarterback situation. Whoa. <laughs> um, I'm just saying. It just sounded irre- – I'm not like – that's not a shot at either of them. I'm just saying they both said the same thing, and I think that's been something that's frustrating the Syracuse fan base. And talking about fr- a,
1: usually a polar opposite when it comes to press conferences too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll get to that later, I suppose, with the football we'll press we'll conference. About- but <laughs> We'll talk about that. But –
0: to me, I would, I would have ro- rolled with Kadari a little bit. I, again, it's the same thing. I feel like I've said the same thing about football. You've got to get him the experience. It's the first game we're playing Bryant. Why would you not? Why would, I think pl- not playing him was a mistake. We won. So in the end, in the big scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But especially now with City Bay getting knocked out, I think not rotating in your bench, guys, especially guys like Richmond, are, is,
1: is not a recipe for success. I will say that. That's fair, and just curious if you want to elaborate more. Do you think anyone else should have played other than Kadari in the second half off the bench? Maybe Frank or Braswell or, or Jesse Edwards? Uh, Braswell did get in for a bit. I, I don't, he
0: didn't do much. Uh, yeah, the second half I'm talking. No, I know. I, I think...
1: Jesse that, was in there for like one minute. <laughs>
0: yeah, could I think center-wise, I think Marek did a good job. I do think, from that backcourt perspective, I would have liked that was I would have liked to see freshman play because, like defensively, they look slow. Gerard wasn't very good defensively either. Um, maybe a little bit more of Anslim just to see what he is because he's a freshman. We're going to need the center depth now, and with knowing that Sidibe was out, I just don't see the point of just going with five just to go with five especially when we haven't practiced in two weeks and they're not in game shape. I, I just, I don't want to say, st- I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of hard-headed to say, all right, these are my five, let's go.
1: But that's, I, that's just me. I don't know what you think. I would argue the only player that I would have definitely liked to see more of is Kadari. I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. He played pretty well. I thought his transition game was – he looked very smooth in transition. He did. Like, he didn't, he didn't force anything. He made some nice passes, had some good finishes. He had one play I really liked where it was almost like a, a stop and long layup almost because he's, he's so big at the point spot. So I thought he was, was pretty impressive, and it made me think of a quote I listened to from Jerry McNamara – so I know you and I both listen to the Scores Table podcast, Eric Dievendorf's. It's mm-hmm. incredible for, for Keys fans. Go check it it's out awesome. if you haven't. But he had Jerry McNamara on there, and they were talking about Coach Beheim, and one of the things that grabbed my attention was Jerry said he loved so much that he would he would roll with you as long as you have the green light. Because there there have been times where guys have been left in the game and then uh, they, they make a big shot at the end, and Jim Beheim says, you know, to, to McNamara or whoever, that yeah, I just felt like one or two big shots and they could blow the game open because they're, they're that good, plus the factor of the confidence. I heard that, uh, and then that's that's immediately what I thought of when Joe Gerard was still out there because you say upperclassmen, I mean, he's he's a sophomore, he's a sophomore. He's, he's only one. Even though we say upperclassmen, he's only one year older than Richmond. I think the word Beheim used was, was um, he used the word veteran. Not yeah, veteran. So I think based on that quote from Jerry, I think that's probably where Beheim's head was at. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this is the guy that's brought us here last year, and I've never seen him play this poorly. And to his credit, he did hit a big three at the end. Two. <laughs> Two, yep. And I just think given that, you can have a little bit of both, right? You can still play Gerard for the last ten minutes or so, but maybe five minutes into the second half, till about you know eight to ten minutes left, you roll with Kadari for you know seven eight minutes. I think and that would be the the spark they may have could have used.
0: Yeah, and and that's fine. I don't disagree with that. I'm not also not saying they should have just played Kadari Richmond the entire second half. Oh no! I I'm hear saying, you. yeah, I'm I'm saying, why not throw him in five minutes or six minutes just to give Gerard a break and see what Richmond can do? Or maybe, like you said, provide the spark. That that's that's the more th- the main thing I'm frustrated with about that is that he didn't come in at all. I I'm not, I'm not even saying for
1: the whole half. That bugged me. I'm with you, and that leads into a bit of Beheim's post game. Two things kind of emerging, which is one, the play of the centers, the rotation there, and then the overall topic of minutes distribution. So as you mentioned, Frank Anselm, four minutes. Edwards had one and then a few for uh, Braswell. Combined eight minutes. And Beheim at the end said that in Anselm's case specifically, he goes, yeah, he was out there four minutes and he was minus 10. I've been doing this 45 years and you know, don't question me. It, it wasn't too confrontational of a question to begin with, but I think Beheim was anticipating some, some critics wanting to see other centers in there. To me, even in the four minutes, Anselm, he wasn't great. It's his first college game, and he should be a high school senior right now, so you can't expect a ton out of him. I thought he looked more of a college center than Jesse Edwards. I still think he looked more ACC ready. Would you he's, agree with that? He's built more like an ACC center than Jesse Edwards. Jesse Edwards is tall, but he weighs like 80 pounds. Well, not even that, like Frank is still more polished, I would say. That I agree with. Like Jesse, Jesse with, probably has more tools, like the wingspan's longer. He's taller. He's got a year under his belt. But Jesse's I think still, Jesse's still a project. He, he still has work to do. Yeah. And I think Frank Anselm can play right now. Yeah, I think he can play spot minutes with, with Barama out. And we'll see how things go at, at Niagara uh, this week. But overall, it was a game that we sweated out way more than we should. And I don't know if you want to get into the whole post-game back and forth at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, in a minute. Um... First, I want to talk about Barama Sidibe. So he played and came out, and the broadcast didn't really go
1: into why he wasn't in. I don't think they referenced it. I found it on Twitter that he got hurt. Uh, we didn't get came, the Jacobian Morgan that he's going to the hospital or anything. I, st- I still don't know where that what that was all about. That was a no <laughs> way.
0: Yeah. Um, I need to stop saying um. <laughs> we uh. But yes, we found out yesterday that Barama... Uh, has a torn meniscus in his left knee. He had surgery today, uh, December 1st. Recovery time is expected to be around four weeks. This is from Brent Axe. So it's possible he returns around New Year's if all goes well. That leads right into the Carolina game on, a, on January 2nd, 3rd, whatever it is. Uh, an, an interesting tidbit I found from Beheim is he said that Dolezal right now is the best option at the five. More so than all the freshmen, which, okay, I understand that because he's got the experience. He played well against Bryant. I think I actually said a couple podcasts ago we should run a rotation of Buddy, Joe Girard, Quincy, Alan Griffin, and Marek, and then you
1: said let's just run five out. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me go one up there. Am I crazy? I Apologies if I'm misremembering the quote. Um, but didn't Beheim say, either last year or two years ago, that having Marek at the 5 was just as foolish as having Sidibe at the 1? Or maybe he it was O'Shea. Have. It was either Marek or O'Shea he was referring to. I can't remember. So. He might have. I honestly don't remember. That seems like a Beheim quote, though. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sorry. You can continue. Sorry. Anyway,
0: so it, it looks like at least for Niagara on Thursday night, it's going to be a rotate uh, lineup of Jordan at the one, Buddy at the two, Allen Griffin at the three, Quincy at the four, and Marek at the five. So that kind of comes into who's going to play as the the backup center. And Beheim said who what he's looking. He's looking for anything. Like I think you said that out of Jesse Edwards or Frank Anselm. and. I think that's fair. But I think the issue is going to be, again, is do they get the playing time? Because, again, I think if we're just running with Kadari Richmond coming off the bench, I don't necessarily think that's enough. So, one thing that's going to be interesting for me is to see how many minutes... So, like if our backup center gets eight, ten minutes, I think that's decent production off the bench, just to give Dolzhai kind of a breather. Because... I also think that once we get into ACC play, like you said, we it looks like Marek got bigger, but what's he going to look like when we go up against Caroline and Duke? And does Frank give us any – or Frank or Jesse Edwards give us any length, better lengthish, better length than Dolajai? I just I, – I think that they – I think they have to play. I think not playing either of the backup centers or just going with Dolezal for 40 minutes for, – Thirty-seven plus minutes
1: is. I I just I don't think it's wise. I agree with that. I do agree with Jim Beheim too when he says that Marek knows where to be. He's in position, and he's got all that down. Um, yeah, I, I would I would agree with you there. I, the question is who gets the the minutes at forward or center because. I don't think, especially given the nature of that position and the players, there'll be some foul trouble involved at the very least. So if you roll with Quincy at the 4 all game and Marek at the 5 all game, you either need, at the very least, a forward or a center. So it comes down to Robert Braswell, Jesse Edwards, Frank Anselm, one of those guys, because I don't see Alan Griffin sliding down to the 4. I just don't. Um, So... Yeah, it'll be interesting how those minutes are distributed. Also, I did find the quote, and I did mess up. So it was O'Shea, like I thought. So this was a, a quote about twenty the 2018 season. This is from Beheim. Quote, the only thing that would be worse would be to put O'Shea at center. Of all the moves I can make in my lifetime, that would be the worst move that I could ever make. I would be better off playing Pascal at point guard than Oshie at center. <laughs> but everyone has their ideas; it's a free world. So, I I figured that made sense. And as I was saying, you know, I was like, I don't think he was saying wreck, But just a funny quote to clarify. So yeah, we'll see how it all shakes out with with City Bay City gone. And uh, it's a shame his is a uh, ending stretch last season. He only got a couple minutes in this year and. I think was poised to to make a leap. Um, and hopefully he can still make that leap after he, he these just, couple weeks. He just can't stay healthy. He's had the knee issues since high school. And it's it stinks
0: because he's a – it all measures seems like he's a good kid. And he was coming on last year. So just crappy timing. But, uh, but yeah, I agree. I don't think going with just six guys, just to go with six guys right now, especially with the way the season is going to go or could go. Is probably a mistake. And I think that's a good way to lead into. Oh, well, not yet. We'll get into the, not yet for the postgame stuff. I want to talk about the defense because.
1: Yeah, how that, could we have missed it?
0: Yeah, I don't know how we forgot about that. So that was the big talk coming into this year is the Syracuse offense is going to be fine. And I think we saw that the Syracuse offense is still be really good. We, we scored 85 points, shot pretty well in the second half. The defense just the rotation was slow guys weren't getting to their spots in the zone the fast enough like it just looked like it just sluggish slow any sloppy yeah sloppy any synonym you could think of uh Bryant was hit 13 threes they had a lot of wide open looks too which is because like the rotation was just slow so guys were slow getting to the corner I I think that's I think George Gerard, especially, was slow rotating their spot. Alan Griffin a little bit,
1: especially on that last shot at the buzzer for Bryant. That wasn't a three though. But it, it, you it, it see was it not too with the the different tendencies between players. Like Gerard isn't the the most laterally quick guy, but he'll pick his spots for steals. Mm. That's usually his his thing. Buddy isn't totally quick either compared to some other ACC guards. But he'll do, he does a good job of closing out under control. And then Marek's usually the the wild man that's all over, but he was forced to play center a lot. So then you're left with with Quincy and, and Alan Griffin on the bottom wings. Alan Griffin, a lot of times, it almost seemed like he forgot they were playing zone. Like he mm-hmm. would almost like match up with somebody, and I think that's just a little, little rusty uh, going off. But a lot of those... Open looks that you mentioned were corner threes. And yes. I think those yes. were the combination of those two of, of uh, Griffin and Quincy Guerrier that opened up those. But even the, the guards taking a while to, to pop out, I think, had a domino effect. And everyone was caught out of position at least a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think, other than Marek, the, the blame probably lies. Everywhere else. <laughs> I, I know Beheim has famously I thought Buddy said was okay to, defensively. I thought Buddy was all right. Yeah, but Buddy was okay, but he's he's not necessarily known as a no. lockdown defender. So No, he's not I I know Beheim has said he got mad at was it Ken Palm or someone else that about assigning blame on defense, like points responsible for. He's like, Nobody yeah, knows, has, you know, that whole thing. So they take him they with a green of salt, depending on a, the game plan, but
0: Beheim doesn't seem like a very analytic heavy guy
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, could you picture Beheim? who who would Beheim be as an NFL coach not to derail things but you think of like guys who don't just not even in terms of success but just in terms of like use of analytics
0: uh Gruden what do you think Gruden because Gruden said he's like I want I don't want to use it. I'm going to throw it back to 1996. <laughs> he said that like in a press conference. So, yeah. Well, just, like, like the first one that popped into my head was Belichick, just because the crotchety old man, old man vibes. But I think the Patriots actually use a ton of analytics. I could just totally be wrong about that. But Gruden makes that comparison. I like. Um, yeah. One other thing with the defense that kind of but bu- I noticed was I felt that Bryant. Got to the basket really. They got penetration really, really easily. And look, look hats out to Bryant. They played really well. They're still an NEC team, and I don't necessarily know if that bodes well going into even the Rutgers game or a team like Buffalo, who could be an NCAA tournament team. That bothered me. I, I want to see improvement on that. Just not the open shots on the perimeter is one thing, but I think Bryant got to the basket way, way too easily.
1: Agreed. Their, their guards were pretty quick, and they were able to penetrate quite a bit and leave us hanging on, on those, not not necessarily the first rotations, but those second and third with the, the reversals and ball movement got us a lot, and yeah, I, I would agree that hopefully that gets cleaned up, and based on his post-game comments about not being in shape and being off for so long, what do you think – Practice is looking like this week, getting ready for Greg Paulus coming into town. You here, think he's just – it's just like Hoosier style, like line up on the line, run back and forth until I say stop.
0: It, it's line up on the line,
1: run suicide until you throw up, then, go, then keep running. <laughs> its You think any dome, uh, dome stairs this week? They're running – no, they're in the mount steps, dude. If they're running anything oh, outside the in steps. the cold, <laughs> go. <laughs> the golden window, as Rothstein says, with no no students on campus, I could see it. I Speaking see of it. running up up and down the mount steps,
0: you know, well, Keith and I lived on the mount freshman year uh, in Flint. You know who I saw like daily running up and down those mount stairs? Who's that? Scott Schaefer. Really? All the time I saw him. He'd always smile, nod his head. He seemed like I, could, I never have to talk to him. Seems, he seemed nice, but, like, all the time I'd
1: see Scott Schaefer running up and down the mound stairs. Interesting. You didn't give him any offensive plays? You no, know, like, <laughs> any, anything tr- like that? I, tried I to wonder – he, he, he probably was keeping his, his lungs healthy just knowing that he would light up that victory cigar <laughs> as the defensive coordinator at MTSU after <laughs> – uh, but we uh, digress. Way to, bring, way to
0: bring that back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle.
0: <laughs> but yes, I, Syracuse is definitely working on conditioning and practice this week. And I think finally leads us to our main course, uh, the drama at halftime and postgame. So I'm going to read the main quote at halftime that kind of got everything going. This is from Matt Park, the Syracuse radio uh, Voice of the Orange, yeah. Voice of the Orange, yes. I was, I totally blanked on the word. Uh, Matt, Park, Matt Park at halftime. Bayheim at halftime. Not practicing in 14 days. You can't play this game. They should have just canceled the game. We are not conditioned. They've got fast guys, and they're pushing right by us. This is a tough game for us. If we're practicing every day... This is a tough game for us if we're practicing every day. Excuse me. We are not ready. So... After the game, he goes in, he kind of doubles down on it, says we weren't in shape, we weren't ready. But then he also says, 100% my fault, I should have canceled the game, we shouldn't have played. The Bryant coach at the same time is reacting to the halftime quote during his press conference. I'm not going to read the whole thread because it's just absurdly long. I'm going to read the first one because it pretty much just sums it up. Bryant coach Jared Grasso, this is from Bill Koch, Uh Bryant coach Jared Grosso was asked about this post postgame. Am, su- Am I supposed to give an honest reaction? Let me give an honest reaction. We gave them five opportunities to cancel the game. They wanted to play it. We asked to move the date five times. We felt the same way. And then it goes on to just basically reiterate the same thing. Uh, I'm going to let you give your thoughts about this first, and then I'll go. Because I think we might differ a little bit.
1: At first, I viewed it as more of a little spat than anything. And the more I looked into it, the more it was, I think, a combination of one, Beheim being Beheim, and two, just like good old-fashioned miscommunication. Because if you read Beheim's halftime quote, it's easy to see why the Bryant coach reacted the way he did. Quote, you just can't play this game. They should have canceled the game. Who does he mean by they? First of all, does he mean Bryant in SU administration? Uh, Does he mean, like, he still wanted to play and somebody should have overruled him and said no? Who does he mean by they? So if you're the coach of Bryant that is playing really well against Syracuse at halftime, and then the other coach says they should have canceled the game, it's easy to see that. And then at Bayheim, at the end of the game, says we never should have played this game 100% my fault and almost, like, takes the blame. So you could look at it a few ways. One is Beheim just straight up making excuses and was like, let's put this in the rear view. Another is almost, like, indirectly calling out his team. I know Beheim isn't one for, like, nuance sometimes. He kind of just tells you like it is. But I think he is smart enough to pick his spots and say, like, okay... This is my fault. We have an ACC team that they can't blow the doors off of Bryant. We shouldn't have even played. Or he, he's genuinely right, and I think it, the, the best the best explanation is a combination of all these things, right? One, that he's genuinely thinks it. Number two, that uh, he, he wants to send a message to his team. And number three, that, with all of that said, he, he straight-up advocated for uh, not having one COVID test. Uh, I don't know the word he used, derail a program or put a program on pause and better contact tracing, those types of things. So I think that was all boiled into one for Beheim. And then from the Bryant coach's perspective, he's upset because you go into Syracuse, you outplay Syracuse, you have two shots to win the game that you don't win. You lose by one on the road, and then you have the coach on the other side saying this game should have been canceled. It's easy to see why both parties reacted the way they did. Yeah, I think you hit
0: it on the head. Uh, I was going to say, I, I, I can see why Grasso was pissed because of the, the words Beheim used at halftime by saying they. Because I can totally see how you would think he's talking about Bryant. And if I were him, I would have been pissed too. Like, we'll, we gave you five chances to change it. Why didn't you change it? I think
1: he probably. I don't think he should have given that quote a halftime to begin do with. Do you I think any th- other coach in the country gives that quote at half? Like genuine question. I don't. I don't mean it as a rhetorical.
0: Um, I'm trying to think. Who maybe some of the Coach more, like, K? K, I think would. I'm trying to think of like the more like vocal Calipari, coach. Maybe. Cal would do it. Cal would 100% do it. Um, who's like
1: muscleman? Um, the must bust.
0: What's his face at Arizona? I Sean think would Miller. do Miller. I Sean think Sean Miller one
1: hundred percent would do it. Would do it. <laughs> Will Wade. Will Wade would path. do it. Will Wade walking uh, with his bag yeah. of cash would do it. There's probably about ten or so coaches in out of what three hundred D one programs that would do that. Yeah. And
0: I, yeah, but back to you. yeah. I understand why Grass was pissed. I don't think him should have said what he said at halftime anyway. If he wants to say that after the game, that's fine. And I think by him saying, like, look, I think he kind of he clarified it after the game. Like, look, this is on me. We should have canceled the game. We're not in shape. Call it excuses. Call it an excuse. Call it whatever. They looked out of shape. That's I still don't, I don't think that's an excuse. I think you should still beat Bryant anyway by more than one. Uh, realistically, they probably should have beaten us. But it is what it is. Um, I also think there was a quote from a couple of days ago after we got out of quarantine where Beheim said, uh, seriously ready to play. We're ready to play our game next Friday. Our players are fine. They're in great shape. Where with that and when he said at halftime and after the game, I think he comes he comes off a little hypocritical. I don't think that's very unfair to point out. Uh, he could have just he could have honestly thought that. And then when the game started to went, oh shit, I'm wrong, which is entirely possible, but he does come off a little hypocritical hypocritical. I don't I'm not totally blind to that, but I, I, I do think that The Bryant coach just—I think what he said at halftime kind of came off wrong from what he actually meant. By like you said, who's they in that scenario? Is it SU athletics? Is it Bryant? Is it who? Is it the ACC? And I can understand where it comes off as he thinks it's Bryant. So I I, I understand him being mad. I'm not gonna say he's—I'm not gonna like give him crap for it, but
1: I do understand it. And he could have easily used the passive voice there too, and just said. The game should have been canceled, and not even not even say they or we he or should have said, any he about. should have said "We." Like honestly, if he just mm-hmm. said
0: we should have canceled the game, that would have been I, it wouldn't have been as big of a story as it was. And,
1: and, and I look, think to re- reverse the roles here, if Syracuse was on the road against number one Duke on the Zion team, and the pandemic was happening in another universe and we lose by one and controlling it. And like Coach K says that a half. I think SU fans are probably pretty upset by it, no matter how true or false the statement is. And in this case, I think it's true. It's just, it's classic Beheim where people are going to have his back from SU because they know the guy's a legend. He's probably right. But it's easy to see why general fans or someone associated with Bryant would mm-hmm. take that and and run with it and and kind of be upset by those comments.
0: No, I I think that's fair. Um, I also think people aren't so just like blindly loyal. They're not realize that Bam probably shouldn't have said what he said at halftime, but is what it is. I think it was, you you can think what you want. It's over. It's done with it's behind us. Who cares? It's not the end of the world. Um, Last,
1: last thing on that. I'll give you a one through four. As we roll into December, 2020, this, at this point in time, Rank the dislike for Bayheim. One is the most disliked. Four is, like, the least. I'm going to go among, I'll give you the four. Among Syracuse? Oh, okay, go ahead. I'll give you the four people. How much they personally don't like Bayheim. Okay. Brian's head coach, Andy Katz, Doug Gottlieb, and the mayor of Greensboro. Doug Gottlieb is
0: number one and will always be number one. (laughs) I would say two right now would probably be Brian's coach. I think he's pissed, and I think he probably has a right to be. Not probably. I think he has a right to be. Who are the other two? The mayor of Greensboro and who? Andy Katz, the disloyal idiot. <laughs> Katz would be three, and I think the mayor <laughs> of Greensboro would be four. Because the Greensboro <laughs> thing was just funny. It was like – it was a – I don't know. Why that's a whole just, other discussion. Why is, I think, yeah, I think they got a lot of
1: use out of it with, like, their minor league baseball team had, like – a. Like a Bayheim night or something like that, like a value night. And then us playing, I think I think it's more Greensboro playful. And, the, and then until, like, yeah, until we go to Greensboro again, and Behan says something that reignites it. But just wanted to throw that hypothetical out there. That's funny. Um,
0: is where is Doug Gottlieb? Is he at CBS Sports still? He's somewhere like he's somewhere like that. He's, he's at two, Fox, I think. Is he okay? That's that's think, it was one of the. I, two. I, it was one uh, of the two. Um, but yeah, I don't want to talk about the drama anymore. I just. It is what it is. You think what you think. I, I think we laid out our points pretty good. Um hopefully we don't have any more of that stuff for the rest of the year. Uh to wrap up basketball for now, uh I, I wouldn't panic too much yet. Look, we won the game. I thought the offense looked really good. The defense is what it is. We were coming out of quarantine for two weeks. We hadn't we had one practice. I I do think that it's if, we, if the defense looks like that against Niagara and Ryder going into the Rutgers game, then yeah, I would say it's probably start, time to start panicking, but depress. Let's not freak out. Relax. Relax. As Aaron, what did Aaron? It was Aaron Ryder's, right? R.E.L.A. Yeah. Relax. The sky is not falling yet. Looking at the week ahead, we're going to have three games to recap next week Thursday night against Niagara. Greg Paulus, SU football legend, comes into the Dome. (laughs) Um, Niagara left quarantine yesterday, which I didn't even know they were in quarantine. So that's fun. Uh, We play Ryder on Saturday at 6. They are the Bronx. They are in the M-A-A-C. Not the Mac, but the the other Mac.
1: Are they the Broncos
0: nicknamed the Bronx, or are they literally just the Bronx? I think they're the Bronx. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't do a ton of look looking into those two teams. I didn't do a ton of previous basketball just because I, we're going to talk about them post game. And then next Tuesday is the big one. I think this will be a litmus test for where how we where we are as a team. Uh, the eighth at nine thirty in the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, against Rutgers, who's currently ranked number twenty four. Uh, Steve Piquel is the head coach. He's turned the program around from just being bottom of the barrel Big Ten and Big East to a legit NCAA tournament. Contender. Uh, they're ranked number 24 in the country. 3-0 this season. They don't play again till Tuesday. They blew out uh Sigurd Hart by 23. They beat Fairleigh Dickinson by 21. And they beat Hostra by 14. Hostra is a preseason favorite in the Colonial, I think is their conference. They won it last year before the tournament got canceled. So they blew out two NEC teams. Uh they should make their first tournament since 1991. Blue Ribbon had them sixth in the Big Ten. So this is a legit Rutgers team. It's not Rutgers teams of the past where you would think it's a legitimate This is a good, good team.
1: So I th- know it's preseason too, but just what if I told you before the season we have three non-conference games that we should win easily and then we play the number 24 team in the country? You, you would look at that as a big game, and I think you should, and not just look past it because it's Rutgers, and I think you no, would agree with that.
0: Absolutely not. This is a very, very good Rutgers team, and I, I don't – like, is Rutgers going to win a national championship? Probably not, but could Rutgers go to the Sweet 16 or be a second-weekend team? Sure. I think could absolutely be a year go. for
1: the Big Ten, too.
0: Yeah. The Big Ten is so, so deep, uh, but – but the, yeah, the Rutgers game I think will be a very big litmus test to see where we are as a team. That's in a week from today, a week from recording. So we'll be have practices. We'll have two more games under our belt. I think by then conditioning won't be a excuse if you want to call it that. So that should be a that that should tell us where we are. If we lose to Rutgers by if we lose to Rutgers by like less than ten, fine. We lost to a good team if it was close the whole way. If we get blown out, I think we have to look and see that as a problem. But, yeah, that's all I got about Rutgers. Keith, you got anything
1: else to add? No, I think fans tend to overreact a bit to this point in the season overall. And the last few years especially, you look at a couple years ago when we went to that NYC tournament and. Lost to Yukon, lost to Oregon. Things look really, really rough. And then the twenty I guess what, twenty fifteen into twenty sixteen team that ended up going to the final four. They won the battle for Atlantis. So SU has been riding the roller coaster at this point in the season for the last few years. So we'll see what, what comes of it. But always always interesting, but I try not to look at it too too deep.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, I think that covers basketball. Uh, if there's anything else you want to add, just let me know. But uh, let, let, let's, let's, let's talk about some football, Keith. Because there, we? We we th- there, there were some things that happened. We have to. Because there were some things that happened this weekend. We, we played the football. We played the football game. Um, the Orange. I, I, they played well most of the game. We scored 29 points, which I can't complain with, but ended up losing to NC State 36 uh, 29. Uh, it came back. We had a nine point lead in the third quarter. We led it to half. I, I, offensively, it was probably our best game since that Georgia Tech game. And defensively, I thought we were, I thought they were, they were defense was okay. Bailey Hockman, had, I think, had the game of his, game of his life. He uh, uh he
1: he did numbers wise, but he didn't look all that impressive. Yeah, the safety was. I don't know <laughs> what his mindset there was. I, I think the fact try- that that is not the wackiest quarterback play of the day yeah. just says something. Like I think he was clearly
0: trying to throw it forward, but he just was getting tackled and didn't. <laughs> I, I I assume it was like I don't know where I am. I'm gonna throw it, and he just brain farted. But yeah, let's just – let's just let's jump to that last draft. Taj Harris is dragging Syracuse, kicking and screaming down the field to try and tie the game at the end of regulation. Taj ended up with 13 catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown. So, last couple plays, we get to the seven. run. We have no timeouts. Get to the seven, run a draw, kind of try and catch him off guard. We get a yard. Syracuse had uh, – what do we have? Six yards rushing total, I think. Something like that. Something really low, which was – not, not a great day for Sean Tucker. No. So we, do, we run that, get to the huddle, Rex then rolls out, runs out of bounds. So he stops the clock, but I think we lost a couple yards there. You would like to see him throw it away there. And then third down, t- takes a snap. He's rolling out. He's trying to make something out of nothing, but then he ends up taking a sack. So the clock's running. There's like 12 seconds. So the Syracuse sprints to the line. And you can kind of see, I watched the play again, and you can, you can see Rex kind of going like this, like making the spike signal with his hand, and gets under center. The second he got under center, watching it live, I'm like, oh, no. Gets it, clocks, he spikes it on fourth down, and Syracuse goes down 36-29 and drops to 1-9 and on the year. Now, I'm going to defend Rex a little bit. I thought he played okay. He was 23 of 45, 254 yards, two touchdowns. He had the big play for a touchdown to, I think it was Taj. But, ugh, that's just, and he's such a good kid. And it's, it, it, he's in, he's gotten a ton of unfair blame, I think, for the loss. Because realistically, what happens there, if we get a playoff, we throw we throw it into the end zone and it's a prayer. But I think legitimately the legitimate, I guess, complaint would be, He's got to know. He has to know what's fourth down there. And Fifth
1: year senior.
0: Yeah, uh, you, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You, you got to know what down it is, and it sucks, and it's embarrassing. Like I, he's got to, he's got to see it on social media everywhere. It was on literally like Bleacher Report, ESPN had it, Fox had it. It was everywhere, and that sucks because Rex is a good kid, and he didn't mean to do it. He, it's just. It was a monumental brain fart.
1: He meant to do it, but he didn't mean to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. And, like, if it, if it was third down, we would have had a second left to run a play. I texted <laughs> you this, too. I said, remember when all we heard from Dino was that we're sticking with Rex because the freshmen aren't ready? Remember that? How's that? That that take aged like milk a little bit. Yeah. and." Dino can't foresee that Rex is going to do this, so'm I'm not, I'm not putting the blame I, there. I saw a ton of tweets saying that that's like Dino that's unexcused. that's not Dino's fault. He's not telling him to spike it <laughs> like I, I don't think that plays Dino's fault at all. What I do think is that whole last drive, there was a general lack of cohesiveness, and I think that reflects on the coaching a little bit, but that particular decision to spike on fourth down. You can't blame Dino for that one. No,
0: and I, it's just that play is just this season in a nutshell. Like, it
1: just that <laughs> was that was the easiest joke in the world to make on Twitter. Like, I I'm trying to think of an example in sports, but you you've seen it where like you refresh your Twitter timeline, and it's eight different sports writers making the same joke. The same you know, joke. Like, it's like oh, they, the the Bucks lose, and it's like oh, Tom Brady's a little deflated. Like. It's, it's like the same, same joke over and over. Like, the sad part is this wasn't even a joke. This was like the consensus take that, that Syracuse football summed up. Like I couldn't tell you how many times I saw that. But just yeah. a brutal way to go out. I want to give the backstory for the people a little bit too. Oh, oh yeah, so, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, on a flight, and when I leave, it's about a two-hour two flight or so. When I leave, Syracuse was up. We're winning. We're up 13-7. I'm about to board, and NC State scores that touchdown to go up 14-13. So I text you. I go, all right, 14-13. Cuse has got the ball. Let's see where this thing ends up. My flight gets in a little early. So for those who fly, you know how it goes. When you land and you're waiting to leave the plane, there's that little window where you can use your phone. So I refresh, and I just – Google a score, and I see like the, the Google results, like 36-29, uh, 30 seconds to go, SU ball. Try to pull up ESPN. That the signal isn't strong enough to get the video. Try tune in to get the radio, not strong enough. So I'm refreshing Twitter, and all I see is fourth down spike, oh no, oh man, what did I just watch? All these tweets. And I about lost it on the plane, but I was gra- glad that I didn't see it in person because I would have just blown up. And I immediately started texting you and obviously, like, rewatched the game after. But I – I, unreal. My phone was blowing up, and I was like, this cannot be good.
0: I almost texted you, like, just don't even look at Twitter right now. But, like, I, I – I, I, that play, I was sitting watching – I'm sitting watching the game. We take the sack. He's running up. I, like I said, he gets into the center. I'm like, oh, no, please don't. He clocks it. I'm like, oh, my God, no. I legit sat with my hands on my head for like 10 minutes just like there's no way that game just ended like that. Like it, it was just the fact that it happened.
1: Like I, I, I. For that play, how many fans, if this was a regular season, how many fans would be in the Dome? at this point in the season, during that play, and what would their reaction have been?
0: For a 1-18 in 18 with people in the stands... 18,000
1: at that point? I was going to say 20, yeah. and they would not <laughs> have been friendly. Yeah, because those are the diehards if you stay that late at this, this point in the year. It would have been
0: a mix of just like the surrender Cobra and then the <laughs> lunatics just
1: yelling things they should never yell at. College athletes, man. That's uh, I know it's a different circumstance, and everyone can come back another year. But your senior day, for that to be your, it's. I I saw a lot of people floating this on Twitter about it's a shame that this is how Rex will probably be remembered, and I would agree. I mean, the the guys fought through so much. He's, you know, we all the all the caveats. He's great leader, great (laughs) locker room guy, but. Man, That's the last tough. The last memory fans
0: are going to have of Rex Cole Pepper in the dome is him spiking the ball on fourth down to lose the game against yeah. NC. I shouldn't say to can lose we, the game. It's not his fault we
1: lost. But, oh, it was to lose the game. <laughs> yeah, I, there's no other way to say yeah, it. Like, it's. Can we talk though a little bit here as we wrap up about on this game about the circumstances that led to this. Sure. Like that second and third down? Sure. What in the world is that play call? The draw? Yes. So you you just gave the rushing stats. There's no timeouts. That's a whole we could we could have a whole discussion about timeout management this season to begin with. But no timeouts. You're gonna run a draw with no success on the ground this season knowing that you have a quarterback that has played well in spots, but you saw what happened on third and fourth. (laughs) It's just that, that play call to begin with was inexcusable. And then taking the sack was about as bad as a spike.
0: The sack thing too. He was running around. He was running around for a while. Like he's got to get rid of that ball.
1: And there was uh, no one open for no. about eight seconds.
0: He's either got he, to get rid of the ball or take off. He's got to make a decision one way or the other. and yeah. Take the, off near the sideline at the very least. Well, yeah, the, the issue with that, now that I say that, is he rolled out to the middle of the field. We were on yeah, the right he hash, rolled he rolled back. out to the left. The, the run play, I was talking to my dad. He coaches high school football, so he knows what he's talking about. He said the main goal with that is to try and catch – NC state or the defense off guard. So you're trying to clearly NC state knows you can't run. They're set up for a pass on defense. The goal there is to maybe get down to like, if you, if you don't score, catch them off guard, get inside the five, make it a little easier. The, while I understand that and the logic makes sense, the biggest, the thing I would say in return is we had, even if we, we had negative, like, or we had five rushing yards.
1: That whole game in the offensive line. I, I, that might have been the worst the offensive line's played all year, honestly. Yeah, ESPN's got it as three rushing yards on 25 carries. And you, you count sacks, obviously, in college, which is, I like, think, I it's got, kind of dumb. But either way, you're talking 0.1 yards per carry for the game. Yeah. What are you catching off guard other than your own team? Like, who, who did they, who did they, listen, I'm sure your dad knows more about football than I do and I'm sure he, he understands the logic of it but in this specific circumstance as we've followed SU football the whole season for a, a while now knowing what you know about your own line you're getting 0.1 yards per carry NC State wasn't surprised by it you know who was us by taking a sack and then a spike on fourth down it's just it's frustrating it, it is and I think that you talking about Dino not having any responsibility for the spike, which I agree with. He takes responsibility on that second down run call and the fact that we had no timeouts. Those are both on him.
0: No, oh, I think that's fair. And I get people who I get. If you're frustrated, I get it. I, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's to the, I just. <laughs> just balls Go just off. Suck Go they've off, su-
1: King. <laughs>
0: they've sucked. Like, it's just. Any positive energy I've had is just gone. Like at this point, I just want next week to be over with. Like let's just move on to next year, kind of thing. I want to I want to look at recruiting. I want to start looking at next year. Like I, I, it's just every year, and it's three hours, and then just a punch in the stomach every single week. It's just I just
1: and to think I'm so tired of it. This defense, I feel very bad for. And they they gave up 36. They weren't perfect, but. But again, they put I, I us follow, in a position to tie the game yep. late or win it. Yep. I, I follow Syracuse a lot more than any other team, but it, there's no team I, I think of that jumps out at me that has had one position, one phase hold them back as much as this offense has held back, SU, let alone – that phase being the coach's specialty that he was brought in for. And again, circumstances are totally relevant and worthwhile of having that discussion. I'm just simply pointing out that this season is crazy in many ways.
0: Look, I'm not, I'll, I will say, though, the fact that we're going to get 11 games in, knock on wood, is I will take going 1-10 over no football at all, honestly. I'll take it. I'm not gonna complain about that. And I think I, I think next week if the game if the Notre Dame game goes how I think we're gonna how I think it's gonna go, I, I think next week we're gonna kinda talk about more so the fact that we got the season in. I think we're gonna talk we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the seniors, but I will take a one in ten team over no football at all. Any any day, for sure.
1: Yep. And to think those would be our two choices this year. Is a is a shame, but yeah. I disagree with you.
0: Uh all right. So next weekend, last game of the year, uh, the Syracuse rockers pinstripe bowl dream has died because the pinstripe bowl is canceled. Rough uh, week
1: for Doug Marone.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> for Doug Marone, you could say that about any week uh, these days, but especially yeah. rough week for for Saint Doug, for sure. Uh
0: Last game of the year in South Bend, number two Notre Dame, uh December 5th, Saturday, twelve two thirty. So we're not playing at noon. At Notre Dame Stadium with fans in South Bend. On NBC, Mike Tirico on the call. Uh serious history. I'm I'm a little surprised Syracuse and Notre Dame only played nine times. I was Syracuse, say that too. Syracuse is three and six. Last time we played was that game at Yankee Stadium in twenty eighteen. we were ranked uh number twelve at the time, lost thirty-six to three. Eric Dungy went out, I think, on the first drive with a back issue. Tommy came in, couldn't do much. Notre Dame went to the playoff that year when they lost to Clemson in the Cotton Bowl. Irish are a 33-and-a-half-point favorite. They are number two in the country. They have beaten Wake, South Florida, Florida State, Louisville, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Boston College, and North Carolina. They have one game after us. They're playing Wake Forest. Uh, that was rescheduled from early in the year. Uh, because of COVID concerns. I think it Like I could have that backwards. They've also already clinched a spot in the ACC championship game. The ACC did some rescheduling today. Uh, I don't even know what else to say about Notre Dame. We're a 33.5 point dog. I assume Rex is the starting quarterback again. Notre Dame has the best defense in the country, possibly. Uh, Do you see any way this goes good? Do we keep it less than two
1: scores or no? This team definitely hasn't quit on Dino, but no, I'm... quitting and competing to win are two different things. Uh, <laughs> I, sorry, not quitting and, and competing to win are, are two different things, and I don't see it. I I wish there was a website or database where you could check like the list, like you could check on on rushing yards or passing yards what the biggest spreads are for in both directions, a positive and minus. I would be I'd be willing to wager that out of the top ten maybe, there's probably three or four this season that would crack that. Like, could you, I, I can't think of a last time the spread was this, this big. Could you? Uh the Clemson game?
0: <laughs> it was thirty eight. Yeah. <laughs> hey,
1: wait Man, no, it wasn't feels that Clemson like goal? an eternity ago.
0: Did the Clemson game hit forty? It was close.
1: I think it it might have.
0: I'm gonna check. I have it saved in my phone, but the, I, I, though I don't think I've seen spreads that for Syracuse specifically. Clemson was 46 and a
1: half. my <laughs> <Thank> God. <laughs> see, I tried to block that out of my mind. That's why I completely blanked on that. But no, I I don't see this going in our direction. I don't see any possible way we win this game. I hope I'm proved wrong, but I don't think any SU fan would disagree with me unless your SU colored glasses are so strong that you can't even see in front of you. Here you know, probably we probably got the SU mask on during these times too, but no, I, I I don't think we need to belabor it too much because any any type of close game is anything is is uh a win in my opinion and when would it be would it be crazy to think that there is a 1% chance that like we keep it close and give them a scare
0: anything's possible i, I mean clemson was a 6 point game in the third quarter that game was probably closer than the final score indicated but I don't know. I I, I think Notre Dame is legit, and for me to say that is—do you I, think I, they're the second best team?
1: Yes. Over oh, Bama, yeah, they're, Certainly, no argument here. You can, you can make a case for Bama, but I I think at the very least they're top three. I think Clemson beats them in the
0: ACC championship game with Lawrence, but I'm not. I don't think they blow them out. I think it's still like a one's less than ten point game. And I, I, I mean, that they, could they also be them already. So they could, they could very well beat them with Clem, with Lawrence. Um, that's just, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't see this going well for Syracuse. I, I, no, I don't, I don't even want to make a prediction right now. <laughs> just,
1: <laughs> and I misspoke too. I, Bama's number one, but I, I meant you can make a case for for Clemson, but Notre Dame already beat Clemson. I think Notre Dame might already have. Unless they lose to, unless somehow
0: lose to us or Wake, I think Notre Dame's in the playoff either way. Even if even if they lose to Clemson, especially this year, a one loss Notre Dame team that split with Clemson, I don't see how you keep them out over over who. Like if Ohio, if everything, well, there's also the weirdness with the Big Ten. Cincinnati, so. yeah. No, if it's if it's somebody else, it's going to be either A and M or Florida, but. Coastal Carolina. Oh. <laughs> that I hope they beat Liberty and go undefeated. I think that would be really cool. Um, I don't see. I don't see even if Notre Dame, if Notre Dame loses to Clemson in the ACC championship game, I don't see a scenario you put in Florida or A and M unless they beat Alabama in the SEC championship game and unless the Big 10 gets weird and Ohio State doesn't play in the Big 10 championship game which could happen if they don't play Michigan next week which they may not cuz Michigan shut down. Did you see what Herb Street said? He said he said something like Michigan's got the power to kind of opt out of the game versus Ohio State like subtly jokes hinting
1: gets right themselves.
0: Yeah. Um which they shut down, so that's not realistically impossible that, that that doesn't get played. So in that scenario, if Ohio State plays this weekend and beats Michigan State, they're 5-0. They don't and play in the Big Ten championship game, but they play Wisconsin the week of the Big Ten. Because like the Big Ten has that extra week for an extra game for everybody. So they would play Wisconsin. That was that's when you get you get crazy because does a six and zero Ohio State team that didn't play in the Big Ten championship game get in over a one loss A and a two loss Florida I don't I think it's going to be interesting I think they do honestly I think the four is pretty much set unless something crazy happens like if if we beat Notre Dame um, or if if Clemson loses again to Notre Dame. I think that could cause some craziness, but I don't know. I think the four is pretty set for the playoff. Uh, we've got a, kind of off topic, but that's okay. It's at least sports.
1: Do you think in our lifetime that Syracuse will make a college football playoff? No. I I, I
0: don't I, – if you had said, does Syracuse make an ACC championship game in our lifetime, I think
1: that's possible, but to make – I, I think most would agree with you, and it's funny. I think probably one third would say yes right now, and maybe like two thirds of people, if you asked the same question in 2018, would probably say yes. Unless you, they expand the playoff to be eight or
0: sixteen teams, no way, zero chance in hell. And I don't. That's not a knock against Syracuse football. That's just the way college football is. Like you're gonna. Yeah. I just.
1: The current the current landscape, yeah. If you're talking I mean nineteen eighty seven, undefeated season. I have Next the national of, I, I have music. the national championship from eighty seven. I have that. <laughs> it's upstairs. Jake is let the record show Jake <laughs> is not a fan of Pat Dye's decision. I am Clint. Nah, nah. He I, is he is anti Pat Dye type. I, I watched
0: that game over the quarantine, that sugar bowl. Like Pat Dye, he was asked after the game. Like, why wouldn't you kick a field goal? Oh, no, we played hard. We Like, our kids – like, you played for a tie and totally – like, I don't think Syracuse would have won the national championship that year anyway because Miami was just – like, that was the Miami dynasty. They would have finished number two had they won that game. And I'm – I don't – I don't – I and I didn't know Mac didn't have the Syracuse players shake hands. He's like, nah, get off the field. We're done. I'm I don't condone that, but I, 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 don't, I don't get the mindset of playing for a tie. Number one, I don't get how there are ties in bowl games. I don't know how that was a thing.
1: No, but, that's, yeah, that's mind-boggling.
0: Like I, Even to me, like, I remember before I like, knew about that 87 team, like the uh, SMU 30 for 30 was one of the best ones on the Pony Express and the, the sanctions. The year they really probably should have won the national championship, they tied Arkansas. Like, their coach played for a tie against Arkansas in the Cotton Bowl. I'm like, when I first time I saw that, I'm like, why would you play for a tie? Like, especially if you're playing for a national championship, go. Like, and I know that's SMU is playing for the tie versus playing for the loss, and we were ahead in that game. But I don't know. That That's just – I, I kind of feel like, especially in a, in a bowl game like that, that kind of – that bugs me a little bit that he would do something like that. We, we could legitimately do a whole podcast on yeah.
1: the 80-17. The, the old um, – uh... Rewatchables pod, which who knows, maybe but, in the summer, but yeah, we're, we're kind of off the rails here. But the motto is that the next time SU is undefeated in the Sugar Bowl, there won't be a tie, so there won't be a tie, baby. There's some positivity <laughs> for all you Orange fans out there.
0: Uh, but next time we're in the Sugar Bowls, fire up the Xbox 360. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't have anything else on football, it's it, you. Nope.
1: Let's move on.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Let's let's talk about something positive. Uh, the Syracuse women's basketball team opened their season on Sunday, and in her first game since ending breast cancer treatment, Tiana mekahia absolutely balled out. Sixteen points, one block, four steals, three assists, seven boards. Twitter everywhere was happy to see her play. I watched the whole game. She looked really good. She yeah. is by far the best player on that team, and I like. That's a good Syracuse team. She's the best player. And I, she was, I think today, her and Kiara Lewis were one of the 30, not finalists, but whatever the cutoff is for the Naismith Award. She should be a finalist when the time comes. She's I that. Was gonna
1: say, is, I was going to say, I casually follow women's college hoops. You follow it probably a bit more than me. Where do you think she stacks up in terms of the best players in the country? There's no, there's no Candice Parker this year. There's no Brianna Stewart or Maya Moore. He,
0: I don't know her name, but the freshman at UConn is supposed to be really, really good. The number one recruit in the country. Baylor's got – she's got to be top 15. At minimum, top 20, if not top 15 player in the country.
1: And I, I would think so, too. I would, I, based on just the stuff i read, I would say top 10 even. And I, I wouldn't disagree with you. She, she's that good.
0: And uh, Camila Cardoza – also, she's she was the number, I think, five recruit in the country. In just down dunks. Yeah, she dunked Not in practice. Good. She yeah. dunked in practice. It was pretty cool, but in only fourteen minutes, um, she had let me read her stats. Sorry, I thought I had I had it saved. She had fourteen points, two blocks, seven boards, all in thirteen minutes. She's good too. Yeah. She's a very good like she was just there was one player early in the game where she, like, she missed two gimmies, but she's, like, a head tall, and everybody else is, like, not, not my ball, just, like, it, like practice, just going back up with it, it was unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, like, in a different level, it's it's a bright future, and it's, like, the the last uh, forward or center combo that was was super good was uh, the Day sisters, and even, like, Strattmane plays in the post a lot, and she's, she's solid, but I think Cardoso will be really fun to watch with teamed up with Tiana at the point will be must-see TV. She's going to be a very, very good player.
0: She, she could be like a Naismith candidate. If not this year, she could be in her next three years of college. She's, she's that good. Uh, hats off to Coach Q for the recruiting class. Uh, <laughs> Tiana was not only our leading scorer, she was a leading rebounder. Uh, very happy to see her back on the floor after everything she's gone through. Cancer treatment is a bitch. Everybody knows that. So she's a badass. That's all I got to say. Um, we had two new views, no questions attached to it. So thank you guys for that. Uh, if you want to subscribe, leave us a five-star review with a question attached to it. We'll answer it in the podcast. It's fun to discuss. Um, we like, I like to hear what the fan base is feeling. As a whole, and I, I know it hasn't been good lately. Football, football even basketball. Even though we won, but is what it is. Uh, this week in Syracuse sports, uh, we talked about both basketball teams. We talked about the football team. Uh, just two hockey games. Syracuse beat RIT seven to one, and then had the second game postponed due to COVID concerns. I believe with RIT, I don't think that was that was a concern with us. So, shout out to the Lumens Hockey Team. F- very fun to watch as well. Uh, now, Syracuse fan comment of the week pulled this off right after the basketball game ended. "Quote: Jim Beheim, better start Kadari or I'm done watching." First reply: Gotta love the game one hot takes fresh off the pipe.
1: And <laughs> oh man, there's there's the takes we had about playing more minutes, sure, but. Starting him in his second game? Over Joe, with, Girard? Uh, Joe Girard? Yeah, I guess I'm guessing that commenter is not a Girard fan if I had to take a shot in the dark.
0: There were a lot of Girard haters out on Twitter. There were a lot of Beheim haters out on Twitter, too. I saw more than one person tweeting that they need Syracuse to move on from Jim Beheim.
1: And you see Washington loses today, and there's fans saying <laughs> that about Hopkins. It's, it's, yeah. it's college basketball. Like As much as we're in the realm of i think it happens with every fan base and especially a pan- fan base as passionate as syracuse you look at like our history and you see that we beat Bryant by one and then you're like this shouldn't happen but even then there's some there's some scorchers on on the message boards i had one too to share and Go i think for you like this one it was something to the effect of uh, one encouraging thing for Syracuse football for next season, and it it was that there was really good form on the spike. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! One of our I, fo- I, one I of our Twitter couldn't, couldn't help the laugh at that one.
0: One of our Twitter followers, I sent you the screenshot. I thought it was hysterical. Changed his name to it's. His at is at D-Rad-Ziz. I, I'm sorry. I don't know how to say it. But he he's very engaged in Twitter. Changed it to, why'd he spike the <laughs> damn ball? Yeah. This fan base is just so mentally scarred.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, uh, my God. I love – that was funny. Shout out to that Twitter user. I love that guy.
1: That's awesome. And then um, lastly, we'll, we'll pose this question. I guess I'll pose it to you. Give me other than give me Syracuse is the gimme, and then NFL and then take your pick for the third team either NBA, NHL, or MLB. What's the what's the like most heart burning team to be a fan of? So like what combination? So like Hughes out of mice.
0: Are you asking what's like
1: the toughest teams to be a fan of? Like, if you were a Syracuse fan, in addition oh, to oh, these okay. teams. Okay, so I thought you were asking, like, which one of my
0: teams is, like, the most heartburn-inducing team to watch, and that's the Rangers. Um, overall – Jets
1: have to be in the conversation, maybe Chargers.
0: The I don't – like, the, the Jets, I think, are the NFL team. Baseball – The Red Sox have won. The Yankees are the Yankees. The Rays are good. I'm trying to th- – baseball – I might go to Pirates because they haven't had a ton of – they've had a couple playoff appearances, but they've been kind of like very average. And I follow a few Pirates fans on Twitter, and they are not happy with how the team is run. So I would probably put them for baseball, also just because I can't think of anybody else off the top you of my head right now. You could
1: make a case for the Knicks,
0: too. You could make a case for the Knicks. That's very true. And then hockey is the Ottawa Senators. Just they're, in, they're a mess. I thought originally you were asking me which one of my teams gives me the most like heartburn or anxiety. It's Rangers. No, it's the Rangers. That's not close.
1: (laughs) Well, it was a it was a good chat and Only up from here. For use football and hoops. But I should knock on when I say that.
0: Well football realistically could take one step down, one more step down, but Let's not even go there. Um, <laughs> um, all right, that's it. Uh, Keith, you got anything else? Nope. On to Niagara. On to Niagara. Right, so that's Thursday night. One of us will be live-tweeting it. I think I actually have class, unfortunately, Thursday during the game. So I might force you to do it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Niagara Thursday. Riders Saturday. Rutgers on Tuesday. Uh Leave a five-star question. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes with the question we'll answer in the next podcast. Or if us a five-star review. That would be cool, too. Uh, follow us on Twitter and, in, and Instagram at MarshallSTPod44. Uh, subscribe to us. Like us. Retweet us. And share the podcast. Please share it. Please retweet it when I tweet it out because it gets more, more eyes on it. More people listen. It helps throw the pod. That would be great. Uh, if Keith's got nothing else, uh, that's it. I'm Jake. That's Keith. Go Orange. Go Orange. We'll be